and welcome to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chrissy, and me, Joss. Don't forget to silence all phones. Or don't, it's a podcast. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Hey. Hey. It's March 1st. And it's cheese. (laughs) And while we may not be hosting a spring formal dance, our podcast is fun and free. Friends, we're kicking off March with one of our very favorite shows, Next to Normal, so let's get into it. Before we get started, we just want to share a trigger warning for the content of the show, which includes death, mental illness, drug use and abuse, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Next to Normal is a rock musical about a typical American family hiding mental illness from the world. Diana Goodman has been struggling with bipolar and delusions for 17 years following the passing of her infant son. The show recognizes the strain her mental illness puts on her family and their struggle to find their own normal. In 1998, writers and college friends Brian Yorkie and Tom Kitt had won admission to the Broadway Music Inc. Lehman Engel Musical Theater Workshop, where they were tasked with writing a final project of a 10-minute musical. The two writing partners knew they wanted to create something beyond the bounds of traditional musical theater and found themselves stumped for ideas as the deadline approached. Inspiration struck one evening when Brian Yorkie was watching a piece on the news about electroshock therapy, also known as electroconvulsion therapy, and was shocked to find out that it is still used in treatment. He quickly called Kit with the following. What about a musical about a woman who has struggled with depression her whole life and has to turn to ECT? The result was Feeling Electric, a 10-minute skit where a woman is going through electroshock therapy as treatment for her bipolar disorder and its impact on her family. The workshop presentation received a lot of different feedback, but the number of audience members moved by the piece encouraged the team to continue working on the project. Kitten Yorkie worked on Feeling Electric on and off over the years. It received its first reading at the Village Theatre in Washington in 2002 before presenting a one-night-only performance at the Shkboom Room in the Cutting Room in July of that same year, which starred Sherry Renee Scott as Diana, Norbert Leo Butts as her husband Dan, Ben Schrader as their son Gabe, Anya Singleton as Natalie, and Greg Naughton as Dr. Fine Dr. Madden. A staged reading in New York City at Musical Monday's Theatre Lab was presented later in October. Liz Larson and Norbert Leo Butts were a part of this production. In 2005, Feeling Electric returned to the village with a cast that included Amy Spanger, Benjamin Schrader, Jason Collins, Mary Faber, and Devin May. This presentation was made possible with a grant from the Jonathan Larson Foundation. Feedback from this workshop led to the show being developed into a full-length musical, which was workshop later the same year at the Barrow Theatre Group in New York as part of the New York Musical Theatre Festival. The New York workshop cast included Annalie Ashford, Joe Cassidy, Anthony Rapp, Benjamin Schrader, and Amy Spanger. In between the two workshops, the piece became less fantastical and more grounded in the family's story. The show made its off-Broadway debut in February 2008 at Second Stage under the new name Next to Normal. The production was directed by Michael Greif and starred Brian Darcy James, Alice Ripley, Jennifer Damiano, Aaron DeVate, and Adam Chandler Barrett. The run opened to mixed reviews but enjoyed commercial success. The show had yet another run at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C., November of that year. While most of the same cast returned, Kitten Yorkie took the time to rework the script and score, continuing to tone down some of the more theatrical elements of the show and ground the piece in more intimate moments between the family members. This led to several musical numbers being cut and replaced. 
For example, the act one closer, Feeling Electric, was cut and replaced with Wish I Were Here, which now began the second act. Next to Normal then moved to Broadway and opened at the Booth Theatre on April 15, 2009, where it was met with great success and critical acclaim. The cast of the arena stage returned, along with director Michael Greif. The original Broadway cast included J. Robert Spencer, Alice Ripley, Aaron Tveit, Jennifer Damiano, Lewis Hobson, and Adam Chandler Brett. Next to Normal became the first Broadway show to embrace social media. A few weeks into the Broadway run, Next to Normal began publishing an adapted version of the show over Twitter. This version of the show began to be published in the form of short text messages or tweets just a line from a character at a time, with fans at the stage door even asking the cast members if they were Twittering on stage. On May 12th, about a week into the Twitter account, Next to Normal had 30,000 followers. When it ended on June 7th with the final line of text and audio from the song Light, about 145,000 people had followed the account. The cast began tweeting back and forth with followers and their follower account continued to grow. The Twitter account had attracted more followers than celebrities like Paris Hilton and Stephen Colbert and even brands like Starbucks at the time. The Twitter performance resulted in a new song written by Kitten Yorkie based on suggestions from the Twitter followers who helped with details about which characters are performing the song and where it takes place in the storyline. The song was then publicly performed at an event in New York. The producers also announced a fan mashup on YouTube in which fans of the show recorded covers of songs. The show was nominated for 11 Tony Awards and won for Best Original Score, Best Orchestrations, and Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical, which went to Alice Ripley for her portrayal of Diana. The show also won the prestigious Pulitzer Prize for Drama, an honor rarely awarded to musicals. Later in the run, real-life married couple... Marin Mazzi and Jason Danieli took over the roles of Diana and Dan, while Alice Ripley went on tour with the show. The Broadway production closed in January 2011 after 754 performances. Since then, the show has had numerous regional and international productions. In more recent news, Next to Normal is set to premiere in Barcelona at Ideal this summer in a 100% immersive production with no set or props and a 60-minute adaptation of the show by Kit and Yorkie. The show is set to be directed by Simon Pittman and will have Alice Ripley reprising her Tony Award-winning performance as Diana Goodman. Now let's get to some fun facts. At one point, Next to Normal was four hours long. Despite making its debut during a recession, the Broadway production of Next to Normal recouped its $4 million investment. Alongside Rent, it was only the second rock musical to win a Pulitzer Prize for drama. Recently, Next to Normal was brought into mainstream television with an episode dedicated to the show on CW's Riverdale. Did you watch that? No. (laughs) I did. (laughs) Is that even a question? Of course I didn't. (laughs) Anyways, you know what? I am so surprised this isn't a novel because the storyline screams best-selling novel to me, especially now that we have so many musicals being turned into book adaptations like Dear Evan Hansen and The Prom. Mm-hmm. Mm. I would read that book so hard. Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but you know what? Novel adaptations aside, I really, really do enjoy the show. And once again, I loved this era of Broadway. The shows were so unapologetically bold and... That is something that's just so true of Next to Normal. You know, the lyrics are so raw and authentic, and 
I remember my first time listening to the album straight through when it came out, and I quite literally gasped during the song Maybe, which is one of the last in the show, and it's performed between Diana and Natalie, and Natalie references the title of the show in the line, I don't need a life that's normal, that's way too far away, but something next to normal might be okay. Seriously, it took my breath away, and it still it still gets me every time I hear it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I also remember the full body chills when I realized Gabe was actually dead. Which I guess that's well, we already mentioned that. You know, <laughs> not so much a spoiler alert anymore. But um, yeah, it was very similar to how I felt when I learned Callie and the Mad Ones also wasn't alive. I feel like that moment for a generation of theater kids is like, sorry, I choked. I was so excited. I feel like it's one of those moments. It's like watching Elphaba fly for the first time, like finding out, A, that Gabe is dead. And then I think the brilliant kind of follow-up at the end where um, Dan, the father, sees Mm. Gabriel and he's like, Gabe? Gabriel? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Mm -hmm. It's so good. You know, I feel like my musical theater um, obsessions kind of went like Phantom, Wicked, Rent, Next to Normal. Um, (laughs) You know, I actually found Next to Normal very shortly after I began treatment when mental illness had had a drastic impact on my own life. Um, I was starting treatment for OCD and anxiety. And, you know, finding a musical about it when, you know, obviously I'm a pretty musical person um, was a really big game changer. I think that when you start a journey with mental health and beginning treatment, it's so easy to kind of let that societal stigma sink into your brain, especially when you're younger like I was. So seeing it in musical format on something on the level of a Broadway stage was incredibly powerful. And I found so much of the writing was just honest and raw. And really, um, a lot of the lines from the show kind of became little mantras in a way that I found strength from. And, you know, eventually, um, after a couple of years, I, like Natalie, was 16 and trying to be perfect. And it also wasn't going well for me. I suppose the same way it doesn't go well for pretty much anyone who's ever been 16. But (laughs) uh, that was just, I was listening to the soundtrack and I was like, God, I remember being 16 and angsty. And it just captures that so well. (laughs) It is a very angsty role. It's true. And God, yeah, I don't know. I don't know of any other musical that I can think of just off the top of my head right now that truly captures mental illness mental health the way next next to normal does and you know I'm sure many would say Dear Evan Hansen but they're completely different in their presentation you know telling and portrayal and yes presentation of mental illness on stage and just mental illness in general it's such it's such a human thing and it's something that you know the majority of us on this planet suffer with daily 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 and um you know it's also something in the in the performing arts that's not talked about enough you know there's so many 
yeah. performers who suffer from mental health. And I remember Patty Murren was so open with having anxiety attacks and having a panic attack before a, a, a performance of Frozen a few years ago. And that made such massive headlines as if it was like the biggest surprise on earth that performers have anxiety, but so many do. I do. And you know, I have awful anxiety and I, I'm still someone who feels so free on stage, but then there's times where I'm like, yeah, I have to back out of this project because my anxiety is really bad right now. And I, I have done that before. Yeah, and I, you know. I think there actually is, I think there is a scientific connection, but I'm not the person to explain it to you. But I actually think there is a link between um, creative brains and brains that are more susceptible um, to just being different, whether it's mental illness, whether it's being neurodivergent. um, I think brains that are capable of being creative um, in all those wonderful ways are also just a little more susceptible um, to that other side of it. Um, couldn't tell you why, well, but it's also why, um, you know, like drama therapy and music therapy and art therapy are something so successful, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. And it's very strange to me considering how relevant it is within the world of the arts and theater and people who create that we're so limited mm. to what we see uh, when it comes yeah. to representation on stage. I know you mentioned Dear Evan Hansen, but I think since Next to Normal, the show that I've seen recently that comes almost closest to that for me would be Bandstand. And it's mm-hmm. it's incredibly powerful and it's brilliant work. It's work on the same level of Next to Normal, but it's incredibly subtle in certain places. So I think sometimes the impact isn't as much as somebody screaming a rock song in your face. Yeah, Um, for sure. But yeah, I think that's the closest we've come, which I'm kind of, I feel like it is a very rich topic. And it's not like, like when they wrote Next to Normal, they won the Pulitzer Prize for bringing this topic um, Mm. onto the Broadway stage. You know, the Pulitzer Prize is for stuff that is brand new and hasn't been done before and... Um, elevates the art form. But back in, you know, 2008, the conversations we were having about mental health are nothing like the ones we're having now. So I'm kind Mm -hmm. of surprised. I'm genuinely surprised that these aren't things that we see um, on stages as much. Well, that's what I mean as well about that era of Broadway. You had in the year before, a year and a half before, we had Spring Awakening on Broadway, which goes along the whole storyline of Moritz having mental health and especially um, towards school and having that feeling of like, I'm disappointing people, I'm a failure. And he eventually takes his life within the show. And that was the first time that beside, yeah, that was the first time that I really saw that on stage. And it completely just shook up the way I viewed musicals and then to have next to normal have the entire show about mental health it was like you know why aren't we telling more stories like this and just to see how since then we haven't really done that it's really you know it's shitty especially coming out of a post-covid world um I'm hoping that there will be more stories that are sharing you know about 
how mental health is something that we do struggle with every single day. And, and, you know, the media likes to put it as something that's not normal, but it is become a new normal, I guess, you know, it's so normal. Like, yeah. I feel like I'd be more surprised if someone said, yeah, I've never struggled with mental health I don't health have any. Yes. Than if somebody mm-hmm. said, yeah, I have, like, yeah. I have a mental illness or I struggle with this or, y- you know, like, and you know, if you don't like, and you're listening and you're like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't have that. It's like, good. I'm really happy for you. But you know, yeah, that's just how common I, I, I think it is compared to how it's discussed. What? Yeah, I really love about Next to Normal as well that makes it such a standout is the lens of telling it through the effect on family because mm. as much as, yes, it's it's very much an individual journey um, in so many ways. You, It's a journey that even though you're the one dealing with it firsthand, it has a huge impact on the people around you and the people who love you and the people who are trying to help you. Like... And when you're in the middle of it, you don't, you're not always capable of seeing it or understanding it. Um, and I think Next Door Normal does such a beautiful job of balancing both um, Diana's internal struggles as well as the struggles of the family and the impact it has. It's, uh, it's just very rich and very well done. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. You know, I honestly, I remember the entire development of this musical, and it's probably the first that I can fully remember the process of it becoming big and really well-known. And like we had just touched on earlier, it was one of the first to bring Broadway to social media, and that's what I remember making it so appealing to me at the time it was like oh my gosh something that is more accessible now and and I can see what's happening on this Twitter thing you know so that was really cool and I I remember going to New York and seeing the booth theater all decked out with the purple posters and the face doors along the side which I can remember seeing all of those at the Broadway flea market when the show closed, and I really, really wanted the Jennifer Damiano door poster. <laughs> but my mom was like, yeah, how are we going to get it back in the car? Like, because it's massive, and it it didn't, like, fold or anything, because it's one of those, like, plexiglass? I don't know. I'm bad with my materials, but <laughs> it was stiff. <laughs> I feel like Next to Normal is still one of like my favorite musicals ever and one of the musicals yeah. that has had the most impact on kind of my life outside of just being someone who loves musicals a lot. Um, mm. <laughs> I do have a life outside of loving musicals a lot. Surprise. Um, <laughs> but it's probably one of the best shows ever written. The music, the yeah. lyrics, the book – all of it is mm. equally wonderful and it's raw and it's real. But I think the best part is that it, after everything they put you through, through that show, it still ends with hope. It ends on a hopeful note. It ends on waiting for good. And the audience still somehow feels uplifted when they leave. They feel seen, supported, uplifted. And it's also a show that there's so much in it that's accessible to everyone Mm. like there's something in it for everyone whether or not you have a connection through the mental illness side of the story or not um and honestly I would love to see next to normal revived I'd love to see it 
um, back on a big stage. I would love to see it live. You know, the amount of times I <laughs> watched that bootleg of the Seattle production. And I say that because it's the one we've all watched. If you're going to look me in the eye and tell me you didn't watch it, well, you're probably too young. But <laughs> I think you know which one I watched. And I'll get you there in a the second. I'll Megan. let you finish. Of course I, I did. I did watch that like, one too. Over and over again. But I like Ryan Darcy that is James my girl. as Dan. So I just like oh, valid. Yeah. repeat on that. Yeah. But, you know, one of the best musicals of the decade, hands down. And given the chance to see it live, I will be there front row every night yeah i'm surprised it hasn't been revived yet on broadway i'm very right? surprised like, actually come on 2009 that's plenty of time for a revival yeah yeah and it's not like it like lasted for five years i mean it's time it's time um and yeah i totally agree with you although i do personally prefer feeling electric as like a total um it just it had such a different feel to it but Obviously, I can understand all of the changes put into the show to become next to normal. And you also know I am a sucker for Marin Mazzy and Megan Faye. And, you know, this show gave me a deeper appreciation of Marin. And it introduced me to Megan, who I think is one of the greatest underappreciated musical theater performers ever. Performers ever. I mean... She's so talented. Now she does mostly TV and film and oh my god, she's she's amazing. Um, and then of course, this show is really the one that gave Aaron his true recognition. Listen, it is so true. I can't believe I didn't <laughs> mention this. This was the show that got... Actually, no, my wicked phase introduced me to Aaron to bait. But like, yeah, but let's be real here. I mean, how many times do you see just like a pretty blonde boy go on for Fiero and it's like... Yeah, that was um, great. But then you see, how dare you? Aaron debate was a great Fiero. No, I am very, I'm very accurate with this. I'm not. I think Fiero and everyone who plays Fiero is like phenomenal, and it's hard work. But then when you see a Fiero go into like a role like Aaron did next to normal, yeah. that's when you say like, "Hey, this person has it." I mean, Derek Kalena did the reverse. He did Dogfight and then mm-hmm. Wicket. So you knew he was already freaking incredible when he went into Wicket because he had just come off of Dogfight. Aaron Tveit um, has always been Aaron incredible. Did, and- he's incredible, but he did the gummy roles. He played Link in Hairspray. Uh, he had, I believe he did Roger on the Rent tour before this. Yes, yes. Pretty sure. And which, like, Roger, that's different. Roger's a great role for um, character. Anyways, and then he did Wicket. Um, can't believe you're talking about my boy Fiero like this. He introduces himself as being stupid. It's not me. Yeah, it's the but character. He, I think he has like <sighs> he has one of Listen, the biggest character journeys in Wicked. It's true. He becomes a wonderful sure. human and like book Fiero. Sure. The musical did Fiero so dirty. Book Fiero sure. is amazing. He is great. But when you go from those roles of playing the hot guy into such a well-rounded role. He's playing a hot dead like, guy now. So, like, what's the difference? Yes, he <laughs> is. And do you remember those photos coming out for the first I time remember on Broadway.com? The, I think I passed out. I think I was 12 and I passed out. I remember out. the gifts of him, like, I was not 12. I was older, right? Like, the gifts of him, like, dancing <laughs> on the poles of the set and everybody yeah, like, no, same. pole dancing Aaron Tveit. And I was like... I'm yes. in love with you. Dead guy on a pole. 
Yeah. Anyway, if Aaron Tveit wanted to haunt me, I'd totally be cool with it. He went from Roger to playing Mimi. <laughs> Get out of here. Oh, no. Get out of here with your rent. You know I love my girl Mimi. Thank you. Jokes and fear. Oh, slander. There's the door. I... There's the door. <laughs> Anyways, I really love how familiar Next to Normal's score feels, yet it's also completely fresh and original. Um, But, you know, speaking of Rent, you can feel the inspiration from Larson, of course, and, you know, Chic in the orchestrations, whether that was something on purpose or not. I know they had been writing it for a long time, and I know he had been writing Spring Awakening for a long time. Um, But, you know, and I I think that's a great thing because... Many hardcore fans of the show were definitely um, between the Rent and Spring Awakening in the Spring Awakening generation. And then now you feel some of those similarities from Next to Normal in works like we had mentioned Dear Evan Hansen, The Mad Ones, and um, most recently the book for Jagged Little Pill, which feels like it took a whole chapter out of Next to Normal. But I won't touch on that today, friends. I won't. I'll spare you. I will spare you. Well, but you can't tell me that um, the Healy family is like not based heavily on next to normal. Oh, one hundred percent. And one one day Very when we much. have time, or actually, it's on my. And that's oh. not a bad thing. That's sorry. That's not a bad thing. I'm just saying they are definitely heavily based on uh, the Goodman family. For and sure. actually, it's on my blog, so I don't even need to take the time to talk about it. It's on my blog. I wrote a piece about musicals um, who have won the Pulitzer Prize for drama because I was just – it was one of my big projects in college, and so I reworked it into a blog post. But the thing is, is that with these – Sorry, did Jagged win the Pulitzer? Ew, no. No, no, I was like, what are you talking I, about? I don't even know if it was nominated. Scared but me. But I'm talking <laughs> – Okay. I'm getting to my point here. Okay. Um, but my point is that I went back through the musicals at the at the time when I was in college. There were ten. Now there's I think eleven because A Strange Loop was the most recent winner in 2020, right? Which is headed to Broadway. I'm excited. Yes. Um. But I went and I kind of like went back and I traced the timeline and every single one connects to another. Um, in what kind of became acceptable to show on stage, like. I think the very first was Of the I Sing, and it was the first time it was, like, it was political farce, but, like, on a different mm. level. So it's like, okay, we're talking about politics. And then South Pacific, it was like, okay, we're talking about racism. Next to normal, okay, we're talking about mental illness. Rent, okay, we're talking about AIDS. Or, well, rent is about many other things, but, you know, something at that level. Um, and... I think, yeah, we have to recognize these shows as absolutely groundbreaking, and that's why they've been awarded. So you see the influence. I mean, you always see influence in different things. Like, for example, with Larson, you can hear a Sondheim influence. But, like, the level of impact these shows have, it's like, yeah, we we see things like Jagged, and we see other shows that are taking on the family dynamic that are taking on mental illness, that are taking on a rock score, all these things, one connects to the other. It's all wonderfully and beautifully linked. And yeah, I think it's such a cool part of theater history, um, the Pulitzer Prize for drama and specifically how it relates to the musical. 
Anyway, worth checking out if you like Googling things. It's true. Although I will say Larson's work was so, um, was very much inspired by Sondheim and you can feel that, but still so heavily removed from Sondheim's actual work. Whereas something like Next to Normal, Rent, Spring Awakening, like those are like so close together when you listen to those cast recordings one after the other it's like were these written by like brothers yeah they had you know? like a very like brother vibe but I found with I find uh-huh. with Larson's work that I hear like it's like a cousin to Sondheim there's just it's in how he handles his rhythm and rhythm and accompaniment versus like vocal line melody I don't know. I think it's it's very close to Sondheim, but it's so deceptive because the like the actual styles are so different. But like at right. the core, at its structure, musically, mathematically, very similar. Oh yeah, totally. That's what I mean. But like with these shows, there's nothing that's like so far removed from the other that it's like completely so similar. Like if you listen to the orchestrations on Spring Awakening and then listen to Next to Normal. It's honestly insane. Yeah, I would agree. It's Spring like the same show. And next to normal are very, very similar. I'd say they still have mm-hmm. a different sound from Rent. I'd say there maybe like is for sure, ones. but like yes. next to normal and Spring Awakening, yeah, they're very similar. The only thing that really gives it kind of away is that um, Spring Awakening has more of that like indie vibe to it. Um, yes, and then, but then. When you listen to the Mad Ones, the revamped version, um, that is completely like next to normal. It's like, I feel like that also, it's kind of next to normally, but it has more like a contemporary musical theater sound as opposed to next to normal, which was still very much a rock musical and rock vocals. All right. We got to wrap this up for sure. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's a wrap on our March 1st special. It was cheese. Really? I thought it was Gouda. I'm leaving now. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thanks for hanging out with us while we chatted all about Next to Normal, one of our favorite shows. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was definitely a great way to start the month, which we've got some great stuff coming your way. So don't forget to follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, the socials. We are breaking the curtain. And as always, I'm Chris. And I'm Jocelyn. And we will see you next time. (laughs) Bye, friends. Bye, guys.